0: citizens? How we doing? Wednesday night, best night of the week. Who's excited to be here? Man, I need some more energy in the room tonight. Let's go. We get to gather here, we get to be here, we get to worship the Lord together through song and with our lives and with everything. And man, it is a privilege to be here. I'm so glad you're here. If I haven't met you yet, if it's like your first night Or maybe it's your second night and you still just don't really know anyone. My name's Noah. I'd love to meet you after the gathering. I'd love to uh, tell you a little bit more about Citizens Youth and let you know who we are here at Citizens. And uh, we're so glad that you guys have uh, joined us here tonight. We are in the last week. Yes, that's right. We're in the last week. Oh, of James. Oh, is anyone sad? Let's hear it. You're sad, I'm sad, Caleb. We're all sad. James has been a powerful book of proverb. It's been a a challenging book of uh, conviction. It's full of uh, wisdom. It's full of uh, just epic punches to the face theologically. It's full of moments that I felt so convicted, but I was so thankful that the Lord had illuminated that truth to me. All of these things that have been found in the book of James have been awesome. And tonight we're in our final final week. And James ends on a really powerful note. James ends on a powerful reminder for us to constantly be praying to the Lord, to be constantly focused in on our prayer life, to have a relationship with God that isn't just surface level, but to actually engage with the Lord through our daily rhythm of prayer. I don't know if you um, remember, like, kids' menus used to— I don't know if they still have kids. Yeah, they still have kids' menus, right? I don't know. It's been forever. Kids' menus, yes. Parent in the room says yes. Uh, Every—me uh, and my cousins oftentimes would go out to lunch. We were all around the same age, and sometimes we would compete to see— do you guys remember sometimes it was, like, one picture on the left, one picture on the right, and there's just small differences between the two? My cousins and I would compete and be like, all right, there's five differences— and I'm going to beat you right now. I'm going to find the differences. And I would just like circle them as fast as I could, and my cousin was like, found them all. I'm like, no, I thought I found them first. Right? Who remembers those? Things that look kind of similar on the surface, but when you look closer, there's a key difference between the both of them, right? So James tonight, we're talking about prayer, and James is calling his listeners his final declaration the final bit of conclusion he is telling his listeners to pray and to always constantly be in prayer and like those two pictures that you look at one of them is actually different than the other if you look closer i've noticed in my life knowing christians and growing up with christian and being a christian myself that sometimes there can be two types of christians that they look similar on the surface but when you look closer there's something that is different between the two of them You see, there are some Christians that I believe have full faith that they believe that God is sovereign over all things and that God is in control over all things and God has planned their destiny, that God is with them and near to them. And then I also think that there are Christians who maybe struggle with that truth and think that things are still kind of up to them and they still have kind of a say on what they do, what they say, and the way they work, and the way they do these things, like their destiny is kind of up to them. The goodness that follows them is based on their looks or their talent or their treasure, right? And sometimes these Christians can look similar on the surface, but there's a key distinction. Do you know what the difference is between the person who thinks that God is completely in control, the, who, the person who thinks that God has completely sovereign over all things, and the person who thinks that they have a decent amount of control over their lives— What's the key difference between those two people? I've always seen it in my life, and that is that person's prayer life. Those person's prayer life, the Christian who truly, honestly believes that God is sovereign and in control of all things, and only God uh, directs their paths, only God gives them good things, that is the Christian who is constantly spending time in prayer. Maybe the Christian who loves and knows the Lord, but struggles sometimes to believe that they're in control, I've noticed that their prayer time is often lacking. That is the difference between these two Christians. And tonight, James is calling the people of God to pray. He is calling the people of God to pray. See, if you have faith in Jesus, it's gonna change everything about your life, everything about your life. And we as believers are called to be totally dependent upon the Lord in all things. This is a conclusion, right? Conclusions are significant. This is the last thing that James is communicating. It's not like us today where we can just pick up a phone and text somebody when we miss them. We're like, hey, I miss you. I haven't seen you in a couple years. Yeah, how are you doing? Great. This is the final thing that James is going to say possibly to some of these people forever. And I think it's really fitting that he tells us what he tells us. So go ahead, if you haven't opened there, go ahead. James chapter 5 starting in verse 13. Tonight we're going to see the last thing that James has that he has to say after he has implored and begged his listeners to change their perspective, to change their hearts, to turn from this world, to stop listening to this world, to take heart in trials, to put their faith in actions. James communicates that in our patience, right? Because last week we learned what? That we can suffer Uh, we can suffer through this life, but we endure with patience, that we endure patiently through our sufferings. In this suffering, as we have a glimpse of Jesus, as we have a glimpse to the end of all things, James says, be constant in prayer. As we patiently wait, friends, we wait and we pray. In our patience, we pray constantly. In our patience, we pray constantly. I want you guys to write that down and remember it, because we're going to dive into a lot of theological-type questions and ideas tonight, but I want you guys to keep that one truth in your mind. In our patience, we pray. We pray. We're going to see how to pray. We're going to see a glimpse into when we pray and why we pray. So let's pray, and then we're going to read the text together. Amen? Let's do it. God, we love you. We're so thankful for this word, uh, word that you've delivered to us tonight. Uh, we're, we're thankful that for, for um, just the past 11 weeks and tonight 12 weeks in this book, God, I pray that you would speak through your word clearly. God, uh, guard my tongue from anything that might be my opinion or my perspective and would it just be from your truth and from your word. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. The prayer of faith. Is anyone among you suffering? So look at me, well, look with me in chapter 5 verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. This is just the first verse, but I think that there's some significant truths that can be found here on this verse. Friends, it says here in is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. This gives us a glimpse into the foundation of when and why we pray. Friends, this gives us a glimpse into the reality that when things are good, we praise and pray to the Lord, and when things are bad, we also pray to the Lord. In the good and in the bad, we pray. Verse 13, in the good and bad, we are called to pray. Is anyone among you suffering? This is a hypothetical question. By the way, James has done it a couple times in this text, right? He asks questions that like people are supposed to know the answer to. Like he said, he, he has asked questions like this before, and then he, he kind of like left hook you left hooks you with like this incredible truth. Let him pray. Is anyone among you suffering? The answer is an obvious, yet, yes, he is writing this book. He is writing this letter to a group of people who are enduring trials and tragedy. The very beginning of this book, he says, Count it all joy when you consider, when you meet trials of various kinds. Consider it all joy. That's like the first line of the book. And he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Um, Yeah, great. Let him pray. Let him pray. Friend, when the first uh, inconvenience pops up into your life, what is your immediate response? Is it a person you go to? Is it someone in your phone, someone in your contacts? Is this a small group leader? Is it a a, a spiritual mentor or a guide? Or when that insignificant, that that or inconvenient, that problem, that difficulty shows up, is the first reflex of your heart, the first reaction of your soul? is it to pray and is it to go to the Lord? Is it to go to the Lord and ask for guidance and strength in this trial? Because in the bad times and in the good times, we are called to pray. Friends, verse 13 shows us a significant truth for us. God always gives you everything that you need in order to accomplish the thing that he has called you to do. God always gives you everything that you need in order to accomplish the things that you need to do. We've been talking this whole book about suffering. And just in the past week, we learned that we need to be patient in suffering. And he says, okay, yeah, is any of you suffering? Let him pray. Because, friends, we serve a God who cares. James is painting a picture of his brother, Jesus, with arms outstretched, welcoming and anybody who is suffering, anybody who is hurting, and he's welcoming them to him to pray. So friends, when you're suffering, when you're struggling, is your first reaction to go to the Lord or is it to go to something that might temporarily give you good advice? Maybe just like distract you for a little bit, make you stop thinking about the bad thing, but not really doing anything about the bad thing? What is your heart's reaction? Where do you go to? Because, friends, as Christians, in the good times and in the bad times, we pray to the Lord. Look at this in, in 13 as well. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Friends, I know we've been talking a lot about suffering, but I want you to know that if, you, if you're in a good season right now, like if you're in a season of plenty and abundance and you're really loving life, and you're following after the Lord and things are going well in your prayer, like, I want you to know, like, that's awesome. We know that suffering, and we know that trials leads to uh, endurance and the perfection of our faith. But if you're in a great season right now, that's awesome. Are you praising God for that season? Are you telling God, thank you for bringing me to this season? Thank you for bringing me out of that thing that I have now already forgot I asked you to bring me out of. Right? That happens so much in my prayer life, right? I feel like I just like, think about like, the next problem that comes about, and I like, think back, I'm like, oh, remember when I was struggling with that like two years ago? I never like thank God for that thing. Friend, we've been called as Christians to pray in the good times and in the bad times, because in the good times, we get to encourage and praise the Lord together with other believers, and that encourages us to live more boldly. That encourages us in for the person who is walking through that hard season. Are you praying in the good and in the bad times, friend? It's a commandment. It's a posture of our heart. Thinking about those two Christians, the Christian who thinks that God is sovereign in control of all things, in the good and bad times, they are praying and asking for the Lord's guidance. They're asking the Lord to take them from suffering. See, I think sometimes we have a false perception that we're called to like really, really, really struggle for like 80 years and then we die And then it's like, oh, good job. Well done, good faithful servant. And yes, there are struggles. There are things that uh, we face in this life, but the Lord is ready and willing to embrace you with open arms when you're experiencing suffering, when you're experiencing pain, when you're experiencing physical suffering, emotional suffering. God is there ready for you to embrace you and to love you and to care for you. God cares about your suffering. God wants to meet you in your suffering. He doesn't waste your pain. He doesn't just let this pain happen for no reason. We see in the pain he uses it, and even he has the ability to take it away as we're going to read here in a minute. Friends, God is near to who? It says who, who's got near to. It says in scripture a couple of things. It says he's near to the brokenhearted, the contrite in spirit, the downcast, the oppressed, the humble. God rushes to those people. So as you suffer, don't try and do it without the Lord because he's so much closer than you might think. Because when we suffer, when we struggle, that is when God is closest to us. If we would be what? Humble and contrite in heart and not prideful. James calls his listeners to total dependence Anyone suffering? Yeah, a lot of us. Great. Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Sing praises to the Lord. Sing praises to the Lord. Continuing on in verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with, the, uh, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven friends we get another glimpse so he has said is anyone suffering yes the answer is yes let him pray many of these people would have been physically ill and hurt and suffering as well many of them have been persecuted many beaten kicked out of their homes they've lost access to the things that have brought them security and now physical illnesses have been probably spreading around the people that james is writing to and friends this truth shows us that when god's people are sick We pray. When God's people are sick, that's us, if you're a believer in this room, when we're sick, we as a body, we pray for one another. We pray for one another. Friends, when we are sick and hurt and needy, we have the opportunity to go to the Lord in prayer. Now, I want us to do something. I want us to reach under our seats, and it's imaginary, so don't try and grab something. I want you to grab your theology hat, and I want you to put it on. Theology hats, I need to see them. I'm not seeing anyone put on their theology hats. All right, where is it? All right, most of us, theology hats on, ready to engage. Cool. We have a couple things that we need to talk through here because this is one of those passages, there's a couple of them in James, where certain people from a certain perspective take it and they use the Bible to try and obliterate their opponent With the Bible, it's crazy. What we could do right now is look at this passage and have someone from a certain uh, viewpoint come up here and another person with another viewpoint, and we could have them fight all day about it. But that would be really lame because, like, no one learns anything when people are fighting. So we're not gonna do that. What I'm gonna do is we're gonna teach what God's Word actually says we're going to give you some perspectives some people on uh, you know maybe examples on people on either ends of the spectrum and then we're going to i believe see God's truth in the center of it but as we talk as we discuss as we put on our theology hats and we think for a second about what this actually says i need you to hear one thing when god's people are sick we pray because god heals that's true that is true god heals God heals. God is a hero of this story. God is always the hero of the story. And God has the ability to heal and protect us and to keep us safe from sickness. And whether he answers that prayer or whether he doesn't, it is always for his glory and our good in every circumstance, in every situation. So um, this is some of the clearest instructions in Scripture as to what to do When somebody's ill, in the New Testament at least, what do we do when someone is ill, when somebody needs physical healing from the Lord? It says this, is anyone sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Elders is a biblical term. Um, We here at NGC, we have elders uh, in our church that uh, help lead and guide and shepherd and teach our church. Uh, Paul teaches in Timothy and in Titus, there's all these uh, church governance type passages that show us that there's some hierarchy, that there's some direction. There's a, there's a, a type of church that God blesses and that God uh, desires uh, for his church, right? We have um, congregants or uh, uh, people who gather in the assemblies, however you want to call it. Uh, which is kind of us here, like we're gathering, we're here. We have uh, deacons, people who oversee ministries, who help, uh, you know, lead ministries, who uh, help do things. And then we have, above the deacons, we have elders. And we here at NGC, we have elders. Elders, pastors, uh, and shepherds. Uh, We at NGC believe that those are all synonymous terms, meaning those are all the same. And so uh, Pastor Andrew, Pastor Tyler, they are elders of our church. And there's also people that you may never see up here on a Sunday who are also elders of the church. And let me tell you, these elders, they love you. They pray for you. They pray for me. They pray for my wife. They pray for your parents. They are shepherding our church really well. And I've met some pretty bogus elders before. Like, yeah. Um, And they're doing a really good job here at NGC. And here, the elders... Are leading and guiding and directing our church, and James says, "Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them, the elders, pray over him, anointing him with oil, for in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up." Now, let's talk about how some people might interpret this. Some people might read this passage, and on one side of a spectrum, in an unhealthy and I think unbiblical perspective. They would say, well, see, look at, verse, uh, four, look at verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. If you don't have enough faith, then, like, you're not going to heal. You're not going to be healed. Someone might be in this category. They might be saying incorrectly, by the way, man, it is never God's will for you to face any suffering whatsoever. It's like whatever you think is bad, you can kind of, like, tell God, and he'll take that bad thing from you, but you just have to, like, have enough faith right like make sure your faith o way up here and then you'll be healed and like if god didn't heal you then like maybe work on that faith a little bit man again we don't believe that that would be true we think there's a couple problems with that perspective i think there's a couple problems with that perspective we see paul one of the greatest writers in the new testament the person who wrote most of the new testament he says that he has a thorn in his side a physical illness that is hurting him He asks the Lord to take it away, but the Lord is actually using it to advance the kingdom. So God doesn't heal Paul. But Paul is still enduring, and he is still suffering in this life. And we also see, you know, often, you know, people with this perspective might say, well, they just needed to have more faith, and they would have been healed. But I never see that argument come out when, like, the person is, like, 80 years old. It's like, well, no, the person was old. And so I'm like, what, like, the scriptures tells us that we have a reward waiting for us in heaven. Oftentimes, I think when it's not God's will to heal us, sometimes he is just calling, you know, in, in difficult and, and hard circumstances where maybe someone who is younger passes away from an illness. I believe God is often calling those people to receive their inheritance, to receive the reward just a little bit earlier than we would have preferred. It's still a blessing to go home to be with the Lord. And so I believe there's a couple problems with that perspective. And then we get on the extreme end, on the other side, and we have people who would say, okay, I'm going to half-heartedly like, pray to God and ask him to heal. But like miracles? No. <laughs> right? No. Like, sure, God parted the Red Sea. God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus raised from the dead. I get it. All those things happen. I can believe all those things happen, but like that was a while ago. 2021? Does God want to heal me? That's a little crazy. Healing? I don't know, like, uh, this spooky. Can God actually heal, friends? Yes. We believe we do it the way God says. We follow these instructions here in James, and we have faith that God can heal. But we know, and we believe, that however God answers this prayer, it is for the glory of God. Because our theology doesn't affirm a painless life, it doesn't, our theology doesn't affirm a painless life, but our theology also does not affirm a God who doesn't care whatsoever about your pain or physical illness. We don't affirm that either. We believe God cares very much and we believe that God loves you and again is embracing you. James is painting this picture of a God who is willing to help and save and to heal us. Because God always gives us everything that we need in order to achieve the things that he has called us to do. Whether God has called us to, out of that sickness, to continue in health, or God has called us to use that sickness for his kingdom and for our testimony. God is always giving you everything you need in order to achieve what he has called you to do. It's not up for us to decide. It's not up to us to try and be super faithful and like, if I get sick on like a day where, or a week or a month or a year when I'm like, my faith is really good, then I'll be great. But like, oh, if I get sick on a day where my faith isn't good, that's not how it works, friends. I hope that is the best way you can take your theology caps and put them under your seat if you would like. It's our theological discussion. But the truth behind it is that God can heal. God does heal. I have seen God heal people. I have seen these things happen, but I've seen it when it happens like this, when the elders of the church pray with someone. And the prayer of faith will save the one, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So so oftentimes, like, we would look at this verse, and we would say, so what is it that heals us? Is it like, The oils that are symbolic? Is it the elders? Is it our level of faith? No, no, no. It's none of those things. Verse 15, and the Lord will raise him up. The Lord is always the hero of our story. God is always the hero of our story. God is always the hero. The Lord is the one who raises him up. Friends, if you're sick, if there's a physical illness, if there's something that you've been struggling with for years, I'd love to talk to you. Come talk to me afterwards, and I'd love to pray with you, and I'd love to talk to you more about that. Let's go uh, verse 16. It says right here, uh, verse 16. So we're talking about how the Lord heals. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Let's skip down to verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Friends, in our sin, in our sin, when God's people are caught in the sin, we pray. When God's people are caught in sin, we pray. There's not an if here, notice, right? I didn't say, like, if you're sinning, or like, if you have a moment where you sin. It is when we sin, when we uh, stumble, when we fall into sin, God has called his people to pray. And I don't want us to lose the significance of what this actually means for us. This means that when we are caught in sin, God doesn't say, clean up your act first and then come back to me. Figure it out and then come back to me. God says... That when we are sinful, he is willing and ready to embrace us right where we're at. He's willing and ready to embrace us right where we're at. So again, my brothers, if anyone among you, verse 19, wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his souls from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Friends, God is there. Again, this is the picture James is painting. He's there with open arms, ready and willing to embrace all those who are caught in sin. If you've been wrestling with shame because of the things you've been doing, you've been caught in a pattern and a cycle that has been sinful and, and wrong, shame would tell you, hey, you can't go back to God. Like you've already messed up too much. Like God's really mad at you. God doesn't want to talk to you. When James tells us, is anyone sinning? Pray. Pray. Like, I picture it like this. If, if, Let's say, like, you're a kid, and maybe you've had situations like this. I've probably done this once or twice in my life, where, like, my parents are out somewhere, and I'm at home, and then I accidentally break something, whether I, like, knock over a lamp or, like, knock the TV off the wall, and I break it, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. When my parents get home, they are going to literally kill me. And I'm like shaking, I'm in fearful, I'm like the last thing I'd wanna do in that moment, the last person I'd wanna see or talk to are my parents because they're the people that are gonna punish me. They're the people that are gonna be angry with me. I don't wanna talk with them. But James is calling these people to something totally different. When we mess up, when we're caught in sin, when we're caught in our struggle, he says that is when you need your heavenly father the most. That's when you need to run to God. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Verse 16, if you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Friends, this is why God gave us the church. This is why he built the church. This is why he's building the church, for this very reason, so that we could confess sins, so that we could pray with one another, and we could go after and chase down the one who is running and who is far away from God. That's what we're here for. We serve a God that has open arms. Not only that, he runs from a long way off to embrace you. Friend, if you're in a season of sin right now, There are people, there are leaders, there are friends here that when you confess, when you talk about it, they're not going to shame you. They're not going to say, you're wrong. I can't believe you did that. They're going to treat you like God would. They're going to love you. They're going to care for you. They're going to walk with you through this. So what? Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The consequence here is what? More sinfulness, right? If we keep going, what is it? More sinfulness, death, and we'll cover a multitude of sins. When we are able to repent, when we are what? Humble, and we pray, and we confess, and we meet with a a group, and we we meet with a community. That's when the Lord does his restorative healing work of sinfulness in our lives. That's when God really works in those moments. So friends, when you're caught in sin, when you're struggling with a pattern of sin, you always, absolutely, 100% can always pray and run to the Lord. The application here isn't, hey, try not to sin. I feel like so often that's kind of like how we interpret the Bible we read it, we're like, alright, cool, like, I'll try my hardest not to sin. And again, we don't desire to sin, we don't uh, embrace actively sin. The application here isn't like, try your hardest, it's when you do, because when we do struggle with our old sinful patterns, we confess, and we repent, and we embrace biblical community. That's what we do. I'm not naive enough to say, okay, like, just like, don't sin this week. It's when, and, and when it happens, if we repent, we confess to others and we embrace community, that's when the Lord heals. That's when the Lord does this restorative work. Again, uh, verse, verse uh, 15. Verse 15 is really interesting. I wanted to bring it up one more time just before we move on. Uh, we're talking about healings. And if he has uh, committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. And so maybe you're reading this right now and you're thinking, wait a minute. Does this mean, like, when I am sick, it's because I was sinful? Like, I told a white lie on Tuesday, and I got the sniffles on Friday. Oh, no. Like, I need to confess some sin. We've learned a lot about sickness in the past 15 months. It's been a lot of talk about sickness. We know that it's something that spreads. Viruses, uh, diseases, these things spread amongst people. And I'm here to say not every single sickness is a result of some unrepentant sin, some hidden sin. Sometimes you just get the cold, and sometimes you just get the headache or stomach flu. Uh, God can heal you from those things. That's absolutely true. But there are certain circumstances in which our sinful decisions may result in sickness. If you decide at a young age to turn from the Lord and experiment with whatever the world has for you—drugs, alcohol— you know whatever the uh, the world says try this with your body do whatever you do that feels good well 20 30 40 years of that may result in some level of sickness and the lord can redeem our hearts and souls and our physical bodies but sometimes our sicknesses are a result of our sin but can you look at that passage and confidently say oh every single time i'm sick no i don't believe so and again that would fall Um, on the one side of the spectrum when it comes to that debate. All right, continuing on. Friends, we confess our sins when they come. When when we have them, we confess to one another. We embrace biblical community. In verse uh, 17, it's the last thing, verse 17 and 18, we're talking about in the book of James. He says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And it did, and for, or, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Friends, this is a glimpse into an incredible story of one of the prophets of God from the Old Testament, where Elijah was praying bold prayers before the Lord, confidently uh, that the Lord would answer them. Friends, our last point tonight, and the point I want us to get, really, really badly. God's people pray bold prayers. We pray bold prayers, friends. Elijah, he had had accomplished, he was a prophet of God. He endured some great difficulties, some difficulties. He accomplished incredible things for the kingdom. There's a story where he uh, is confronted and he challenges these uh, prophets of uh, Baal and it's this... uh, it's this epic moment where uh, elijah literally prays down fire from heaven he prays down fire from heaven and destroys all those who are mocking the lord and he destroys all those who were uh making fun of uh the uh the people of israel and 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 the one true god of jacob and it's just this incredible story and then james references another one here where he prays and the lord answers his prayer. And, and the world does not have rain. And then, and then he prays again, and then it does. And friends, we are to pray bold prayers, believing that God can answer them. Oftentimes, I think Christians pray really wimpy prayers. Like, I, 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 like we serve a big God. We need to be praying big prayers, friends. Oftentimes, I feel like we have an incorrect perspective on prayer, in which we're like, you know, it's, it's not wrong to pray for the things that are burdening God's heart, but it is okay to pray bold prayers. And friends, sometimes people teach the Bible incorrectly and they would look at verse 17 and 18 and they would maybe teach the story of Elijah and say, see, you need to be like Elijah. And you need to be just like him. And you need to embrace the things that Elijah does, which means you need to be confident. You need to go out and you need to figure out what you want, and you need to convince God that you want it, and then you can like, claim it, and you need to be just like Elijah. But friends, Elijah's not the hero of the story. Elijah, what does it say in verse 17? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah is like us, but the only thing that was special about Elijah was his proximity to God through prayer. That's what was special about Elijah. The thing that was special about him was that he was praying to the Lord. He was constantly with the Lord. He was humble. He was asking the Lord for big prayers. And the Lord answers them. The application here isn't be confident like Elijah and like go out and like call fire down from heaven. Which would be sick, by the way. I might try it later. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> the application here. The thing that was special about Elijah was his proximity to God. So friends, are you praying big prayers to the Lord, believing that he can accomplish them? We're gonna be closing here in a minute as the band comes up. Elijah was a man like us. Sinful, broken, confused oftentimes, didn't have enough faith. But what was special about him is that he always went back to the Lord, scripture shows us. Friends, the difference between the person who is believing that the Lord is sovereign and faithful in all things and the difference between the person that thinks that their lives are in their hands is their prayer life. It really truly is. The difference between somebody who thinks that that they have it all together and that they can work hard and they can figure out how to accomplish much for their kingdom with their perspective and their talent and their treasure, the difference between that person and the person who knows that it is only God, it is only God's path, it is only God's strength, it is only God's healing, the difference between those two people is their prayer life, right? Their prayer life is a clear sign, into whether or not that person actually trusts that the lord is sovereign or they believe that they can make it on their own strength so friends our our prayer life reveals to us where our hearts are at our prayer life reveals to us whether or not we are walking in humility or whether or not we are walking in pridefulness if you're walking in pridefulness you probably don't feel like you need to pray But if you're walking in humility, you truly know that the only way that you're making it, not just to like next year, but to the next day, is through God's grace and through God's healing and guidance. So we, as humble people, need to constantly be asking the Lord for guidance and help. Friends, we can pray big prayers because we serve a big God. Where are you leaning? Where are you at? Friends, our faith needs to be put into action. As we close up the book of James for the final time right now, right? That's it. Maybe in a couple years we'll come back and we'll be able, some of you maybe will remember this moment. Friends, our faith needs to be put into action. That's James's whole thing it's literally the entire book. He is imploring, he is encouraging you to listen and to do something. So what is it? What's the one thing that you need to do? How can you put your faith into action this week? I think starting off with a super strong prayer life is a starter, but what was it in this series? Was it the way that you treat other people? The way that you present yourself to other people the way you welcome in certain people and not others? Did that convict you? Was it your perspective on trials and difficulties? Did you move from saying, uh, you know, this is all just nothing and this is all pointless to God, you love me and you have a plan for me. Where was it? Friends, I want citizens youth to not just be a place where we walk in on Wednesday night. We hear teaching, we get to hang out because it's the only thing open in COVID and then we just leave. I want us to be a ministry that is on fire for the Lord and it's gonna happen when we are humble, when we pray and when we put our faith into action. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We're thankful for this book. We're thankful for your word that guides us and directs us. We're thankful that you did not just leave us here on our own to figure it out, God. You gave us the instruction, you gave us a book, you gave us your Holy Spirit. God, and we know that we have access through your Holy Spirit to healing, to blessings. God, I pray that we would not gravitate towards the things of this world, but would we be focused on you? Would we know that you alone give good and perfect gifts? And you alone give us everything we need in order to accomplish the things that you have called us to do. God, help us to put our faith into action. Help us to stop making lame excuses as to why we can't share the gospel or as to why you can't be everything in our lives. Help us, Lord. Be with us. Let these words sink deep in our hearts. May we look back in 5, 10, 15 years and remember the days where we walked through this book. God, may we have gone through this book many times in the next few uh, years and months ahead as well, Will we meditate and truly know and believe that you, and only through you, have given us faith. Help us to respond. Help us to respond to this beautiful thing you've done with joyfulness and action and obedience. We love you. It's in Jesus' name.